That's right. All right. So, okay, here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it has everything I need. That's right. All right, Matthew chapter 6. This is, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And just to, again, reiterate that these commands, this instruction is not easy for any one of us. However, this is what he expects from his children. And so it, it does heed us. We can't just look at it, read it, and say, impossible, and then be done with it. No, this is something that, that's why he started with the Beatitudes to make sure that we realize that we've got to change our mind and heart. In other words, I think the mind and the heart kind of are together. And, and so what is on the inside then will come out. He wants us to make sure, and I think that's why he starts right off the bat when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, that is the star of it all. I will bless you. I'll make it worth your while if you're willing to put yourself aside. And, and, and as much as we talk about that, that is the crux of the matter. We have to learn how to put ourselves aside and let him, let him take over. This whole old nature gone, new nature coming up and rising up, that is exactly what he's expecting. He is, this is not just words. These are things he expects. He expects the old to be gone and new, that we should be seeing new every day, a little bit more new every day because we are putting ourselves aside and the only way that we can do that is by, by listening to what he's saying, by believing that what he's saying is for our benefit, and so we, we choose to believe it. And then when we leave here, we go out and we put it into practice. And, and that is how this works. And so as he, black and white, straightforward, you don't need to be some mastermind. This is exactly how he wants us to live. And so he starts this teaching in this chapter by saying, be careful. Be careful. And so when he says, be careful, when you see careful, if you see a sign that says careful, what, what is that? It's a warning, right? In other words, it's to prepare you for, you know, a curve ahead. You know, you might see a sign that careful curve. In other words, you know, slow down, don't lose control because it's coming. It's a warning. It's for our own protection. And so when he says, be careful, you, you and I should take notice saying he's warning us, warning us of something that we might not realize it because it's so subtle. And it's so a part of our human nature. And, and this is what he's going to deal with today. He is, he is so dealing with the way humans just are without any effort at all. I mean, I say this every week, and I don't mean to be silly, but we all have three best friends, and it's me, myself, and I. I mean, that's just it. And that's why we have to learn that that is a detriment, that is damaging, that is keeping us from all that he wants us to be. And yet it's so natural. And so he's saying, be careful, because what's natural is for you to, to do things so that people notice. Because it's not fun to be taken for granted. It's not fun to be used. It's just not right when they don't say thanks or they don't give the proper whatever. I mean, that is just normal for us. And so he says, be careful. And then he says these words, be careful that you do not do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by men. So what are your acts of righteousness? It's not the, the acts of righteousness are wrong in fact, that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. We're all supposed to be living out acts of righteousness because what is that? Living right. We're all supposed to be living right. And living right is doing and following his commands and, and being obedient to what we feel the Spirit is telling us to do. 
That's acts of righteousness. So there's nothing wrong with that. But the little kicker, the real, the thing that sneaks in there that he says you got to be careful for is that you're doing it not for him, but maybe, maybe, yeah, you're doing it for him, but there's just a little bit that you're doing for you too. Because there is that common thread that you just want that recognition because you deserve it. After all, you put in the time, you paid the money, you, you whatever it did, and you just think it deserves being recognized. And he says, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Then he moves on and kind of explains it a little more and uses this as an example. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. He said, I tell you the truth. Remember last week we saw in that last part that he six times, he said, you know, but now I'm going to tell you. In other words, you know the commandment. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. He says, but you know, I, I'm going to take it further. I'm, gonna, I'm not as concerned about the surface sin as I am the sin of your heart. And Jesus is going to really explain this week that when you really care about what's in your heart, the body will follow. So that's why he doesn't even think about the, the obvious murder or adultery. He says, no, I, I'm going to go after six times. He said, I'm going to tell you, I've changed things up. It's not all what it looks like on the surface and what you can, what you can kind of fool people with. He said, I want you to be concerned about the fact that I see, I see your heart and that should be concerning to you. That that's why I'm, I'm doing this Sermon on the Mount so that you can start to be aware that it starts from within. So then he says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. That goes against every part of human nature. I mean, there's just something there that, that you think, no, and he's saying, yep, this is my new way. I'm saying it doesn't matter about human accolades. You don't need that because then look at, he goes on to say, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So it's not that you're not going to be rewarded. You are. But there's a difference between when he said, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Those who are, are making their good deeds announced so that they get the recognition. That's what human reward is and it feels good no kidding aside now I want to make sure that we see the difference in here because uh, if you feel if you feel like the Lord is telling you to encourage someone or if you feel the Lord is saying to you um, send him a note that is not what he's talking about here because that's the Lord telling you because the Lord knows that, that someone might need a pat on the back or a word of encouragement or something like that. If the Lord's telling you and I to do that, we are to do that. The lesson is here, he's talking, that's why I prayed this morning, Lord, if, if we could just pretend that no one else is here but we're just, we're just listening to you talk to me because this is a personal lesson. And so when he says, I don't want you, I mean, if I tell you to encourage someone, then you go do it. But, but you, when you do an act, you don't need anything because you know I see and I will reward. Because what, what are human rewards? The, the accolades. And, and it makes you feel good. But he's saying, I want you to know that I'm going to reward you and that should make you feel good. Because what is the reward? What is his reward? When he says, when the Father will reward you, what is that reward? 
eternal life, heaven. When you stand in front, when, and, and I think we need to comprehend this more and more, is that we will stand in front of Jesus someday, one-on-one, -on -one, not as a group, not as a Bible study, one-on-one, -on -one, we will stand in front of the Lord. And he will then kind of go down the list, and he will say, I saw what you did. I saw you, what you did, and no one knew, and no, no big accolades, nothing, no big pats on the back, because you knew that, that I knew. And now, let me say to you, thank you. Or if he says, well done. Do you think there is any greater reward than hearing your Savior say thank you to you? Or well done. So he says, why don't you start getting your, your sights on that, not on human accolades, but the fact that someday you have a Savior that's going to be grateful for your service, and he is going to let you know, and he will reward you, and he hands out prizes. I mean, it's going to be a day. You just got to wait for it, and that's what Jesus is trying to say here because then... You have to be mindful, and that's why he says be careful. When you do your acts of righteousness, when you do your good deeds, when you, when, you, when you know that this is what you're supposed to do, just make sure that you have, and it doesn't use the word M in here, but he says be careful, check your motive. Always check your motive. Make sure that it is done for him and not for you. And like I said, he had to say be careful for a reason because even for the best of Christians, that me, myself, and I is a powerful mechanism. And then he goes on and says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. Again, he says this, they have received their reward in full. And what's that? Oh, when people say, oh, wow, you're really something. Wow, I just wish my life was like yours. Oh, I wish I could do, I wish I could pray like that. I mean, you know, that, that just feels wonderful. And he said, well, you better enjoy it because that's all you're getting. Because when you stand in front of me, I have nothing to say to you. Because you didn't do it for me. You did it for yourself. And don't think for a second I didn't see that. So it's as blunt as blunt can be. But when you pray, go into the room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. You know, I had to go to Luke 18 because I don't think there's any parable that's more nauseating than that parable. And it's such a great example You've got the Pharisee who is notorious for standing there, standing up and making sure that everybody hears him. And, and he's got, you know, he's got all the fancy words because he's been, you know, he's been trained. And so he knows how to do it just right. And, and everybody's just awed by it. And that's why a lot of people don't dare pray because we can't pray like that. And the, thi and the whole thing is in this parable, Jesus says, okay, you got him, and then you've got the, the publican who doesn't even dare stand up. He doesn't even want to come into the vicinity because he's so unworthy and says, oh, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, guess what prayer I heard? Guess which prayer I heard? You know, and so that parable that is that is so clear of what Jesus is trying to say here how many how many of us haven't dared pray out loud because we can't pray like so-and-so or we we don't we don't have the fancy words or or you know it, it just we're afraid we're gonna be embarrassed because we might stumble on a few thoughts or whatever I mean how many of us have have not done that because and Jesus is trying to say, when you talk to me, do it like go into your closet and how easy. I mean, just, I mean, yeah, an audience of one because you're not talking, when you're praying, you're not praying to all the people. When we pray, we pray to him. 
just like it's an audience of one. And then he says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what your needs are before you even ask. And then Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how to pray. If you need a lesson on how to pray, maybe, maybe it doesn't come easy. And so maybe you just kind of need um, something to follow. And I know he gives us, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. And I know that this prayer is so perfectly written. However, I don't think that Jesus intended for us to pray these exact words all the time. Because again, what's the danger if humans, if humans pray the exact same thing over and over and over? What is our tendency I mean, you might as well make your grocery list while you're praying it because that's about as much thought. Once, once you keep praying something over and over and over, you know, it doesn't have the punch. But he says, this is how I want you to pray. I want you to, to see that, that um, when, I, when you start a prayer, when you start your prayer, you should first of all start with our Father. You should make sure, and he starts with that because he says, I want you to know right off the bat that you have a father. And then he says, okay, now picture in your mind what you think are the, the greatest attributes of the greatest father that ever lived. Now, if you had a great earthly father, I mean, I'm sure that that's not very hard to do because you just know what your father did for you. If you didn't, I think he's welcoming us and say, okay, what would you wish you had? Because I am the greatest father that ever, that ever was, and I am your father. And so what does a father do? A father loves unconditionally. A father protects and secures and gives his life, and, and his whole world revolves around. He teaches. He lives by example because he knows that there are little eyes that are watching. So he says, I want you to know that that's what I am to you. Right off, I want you to know that I am the greatest father that ever lived. And so anything that you can say that you think would be a great attribute of a great father, I am. I am that to you. He wants us to take it personally. He wants us, when he says, our father, right away, he says, I want you to start knowing how personal I am. It's between you and me. But then, before you start getting that in, and into a kind of a lax kind of set, almost too casual, that's why I, I'm going to be honest with you. I never, you know, where, where Paul talks about Abba Father. You know, some people say, we could call him Daddy. You know, I never liked that. Never liked that. Never liked calling him Daddy. I keep remembering when Chad ran the, um, when, he, when, well, he, when he did Iron Man in Lake Placid and, and Jenna was only two. And she had a great big sign that said, Go Daddy-o. I mean, it was just adorable. And I mean, it's cute to say daddy-o and all that, but I think what he wants, he wants us to know when he says, start with our father, I want you to know that's personal, that I am personal to you, that I have every trait, every great trait that a father is supposed to be. However, I'm still God, and I'm holy, and you better hallow my name. So before you start getting too lax with the daddy-o stuff, I want you to realize who I am. So I love the way he started with a personal, but then he moved into, but again, before you get too casual about this and you forget who I really am, that I am still God. And then he says, your kingdom come. Now again, it's easy to say your kingdom come. But as we have learned in the last weeks, John the Baptist and Jesus said what? The kingdom of heaven is near. And what does that mean? That means Jesus is here. Jesus has come. He has come. He left heaven to live 33 years, to walk to a cross, to shed his blood, that the Father would then 
accept as our sacrifice. He would get buried in a grave, three days later come out of the grave so that we rise up to life, new life in him. So what is, when, he, when we should pray your kingdom come, we should be, this is why he says never, when you pray to me, never ever forget what I did for you. Your kingdom come, that's the gospel story, that's salvation to you and me. You keep going over that. You keep going to the cross and realize what that Christ, what that cross did for you, what Christ did for you. That one line, just think that your kingdom come, it just opens up the whole, the whole life of Jesus, if you ask me. Your will be done. See, we've been talking about that, haven't we? How James says, that yes, you, you can bring your request to him. Yes, when you pray, you should always, always end by saying what? Your will be done. Because why? You believe that his will is perfect. And that he has the best solution. He's got the be- best plan. He's got the best timing. And you believe that. So he says, always pray, your will be done. Where? Right now, right now on earth, you pray for his will. As you know that his will is perfect in heaven, you don't have a problem knowing that his will is perfect in heaven. But I want you to know and be praying, your will be done even here. Because you trust him enough. See how this just opens up? And how how he just makes sure that everything is covered? And then when he says, give us this day our daily bread, give us this day. This is what I, this is what I need. And again, when we see bread, we usually think of physical needs, physical food and sustenance and all that. But again, I think it's just an example. Give me today what I need. And do you need the same thing every day? I mean, I know we need food and water and air and light. Huh, it's the funniest thing about that. The only thing we really need to survive is food, water, light, and air. Huh? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the, I'm the living bread. Um, or I'm, I'm the bread of life. I am the living water, and I am the breath of life. I mean, he is all we need. But when, you, when he says that we can pray, give me today what I need. I mean, I know I need the the, the everyday stuff, but today I might, I might need to make a decision today. I might, he, I might hear a doctor's verdict today. I'm, I might, this might be an altogether different day than normal for me. And, and yet, because I prayed, give me today what I need, I can count on that. He will give me what I need today to be able to stand up and go through this knowing that he's extended his right hand and says, always know I'm walking right with you. So there again, you know, broaden that. Give me today what I need. And then he says, forgive us our debts. Forgive me of my sins. Now, if you think for a second that he says, just quote this prayer quick, and you don't even have to, you don't even have to name them because you don't, all you have to do is at the end of the day say, oh, forgive me of my sins. No, he says, I want you, I want you to think through your day and say, oh, man, I said this. I did this, and I didn't do this, and I should have, and all those things. He said, call it for what it is. Call sin for what it is. Start naming it, because when you, when you confess and repent, you take sin seriously. Remember in the Beatitudes where he said, I'll bless you, I'll make it worth your while if you mourn. If you mourn for your sins, if you take it seriously, you know what sin does to me. And the, the thought of just being flippant about it, forgive me of my sins today. He says, because when you confess and repent, that means you, you don't want to do that again. I want to know that you're serious about the sin in your life and that you know what sin does to me. And that matters to you. 
Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Now he knows. Did you notice that he's going to let that go and say something else, but then he's going to come back to this one because he knows how hard it is for us to forgive because we feel it's okay to hold a grudge because after all, yeah, but what they did and uh, human nature wants them to pay. We want them to hurt the way they did to us. It's just, he said, remember, I'm going after your heart. I've done, it's different with me. I know you've heard an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but remember last week he said, I want you loving your enemies. I want you praying for those who persecute you. I've got a whole new behavior that I want my, want my children to live by because I want them to be so different that they're like a city set on a hill that when people say, man, I want what she's got. And they come and then you have the opportunity to say, and his name is Jesus. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget the when I sang for MetLife, and then when they asked me after about five, six times, they said, you're different than any other entertainer we've ever had. Can you tell us why? You show up on time. You, you, uh, you do what you're told. I mean, to me, that is just the automatic, but apparently it's not. And so they said, what makes you different? Is it because you're from the Midwest? Is it because you're of Dutch heritage and that's what Dutch do? I mean, they knew all about me. And I said, you know, they've all contributed, but the reason I'm a changed person and why I am different is because of Jesus. And you know what their response was? We knew you were going to say something like that down deep you see because we've been created to need him people can deny him all they want but down deep if they were honest we've been created to know that we'll never be satisfied until we know him. so he says now he moves on and he says and lead us not into temptation now come on you and I know God would never tempt us. And if you need to put a little, little side note, it's James chapter 1, where James in his five no-nonsense chapters, in the very first chapter, he says, don't ever say that God would tempt, because God would never. So God would never tempt. So what does Jesus mean here? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He's saying, be aware that you cannot head into temptation thinking that you can handle it. There is no way that you in your own strength and power, and if you want to reinsert 1 Corinthians 10, 13, after what we've been through the last couple of weeks, no temptation is too great. God is faithful. That if you ask him for a way of escape, he'll see to it you have it. So you have no one to blame but yourself. So what he's saying, just make sure that you're mindful that you can never say, well, I couldn't help it. Lord, I couldn't help it. You can never, because that would be like saying, well, you just led me into that temptation and I couldn't help it. Well, he would never do that. And you know it. So when you pray that, you're saying, I know you would never lead me into temptation. So it's on me. Help me. I need help. This is when you and I cry out to him and say, I'm powerless. I am helpless and hopeless on my own in this category of temptation. And only you can deliver me from it. And then he comes back. And then he says, for if you forgive me, or for if you forgive men when they sin against you, when your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And we love that verse. Isn't that wonderful to know that when we forgive, when men sin against us, our heavenly Father will forgive us. But that next verse is a hard pill to swallow because it says, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. 
That is tough. But there again, I think he is trying to say to you and me, if you've been to the cross and you have seen yourself the way you really are and you know how badly you need a Savior and you have one and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that grace and mercy is shed blood, cleaned you, that you're the slate is wiped clean. He remembers your sin no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove. You are a new creature in Christ. Your destiny, because of that walk, now has gone from hell to heaven. He said, if you comprehend that, you comprehend that kind of forgiveness and that kind kind of grace and mercy and you know what you'd have been if it didn't happen if you comprehend that do you know that when someone does you wrong it's not even a question on whether you forgive because you know what he's done for you it's the least you can do I'm not saying it's easy. Forgiveness isn't easy. You've you've got the war going between your human nature and your human emotions and feelings versus, though, the power of God, the Holy Spirit that says, come on, we got a whole other way of dealing with this. And he will remind you of that walk to the cross, what you've been forgiven of, where your eternal destiny has totally changed when you deserve nothing of that. Then you look at that person that's wronged you and you're saying to the Lord, it's a privilege to be able to do this for you, to be able to forgive the way you forgave me. So when he says, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you, he's pretty much saying, I don't think you've really even comprehended what I've done for you. So maybe you've never really made this real in your life. If forgiveness is such a hard thing to do because it never enters your mind that you stood at the cross absolutely lost. And he said, I forgive you. Maybe you have never totally experienced that because if you had, this just comes You're grateful. It's kind of like what Paul said. In view of what he's done for me, um, may I now offer myself back to you as a living sacrifice. And you tell me to forgive? Okay. No yapat, no except for, no, forgive. Okay, and then he says, when you fast, when you fast, do not somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they're fasting. I tell you the truth, again, he says, they have received their reward in full. What is fasting? Fasting is when you choose to give up something because for someone, for maybe a decision that needs to be made, and, and maybe, you know, you need to be reminded, fasting is usually with food, and so it's kind of a good reminder when, when you haven't eaten and your stomach growls, you think, oh, that's right, I need to pray about this. Fasting is a reminder because so often we get caught up in our busy world and our busy days and we forget to pray or to surrender or to whatever we need to do. So the fasting on this very important issue, but fasting isn't easy when you go without food all day. And so he says, you know, those that fast, you know, they're, they're walking around and, oh, man, they just look terrible. What are they really wanting people to do? Oh, you look a little tough today. You look a little tired. Is there something wrong? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm fasting for so-and-so. I mean, that's just, you know, what I'm doing. And in their mind, they're thinking, aren't I wonderful? Didn't they, isn't that nauseating when you put it like that? But that's what he's saying, be careful because it's so easy to do stuff like that, to have the wrong motive, and you want people to see. Splash a little water on your face. Put a little more blush on. He's saying, do whatever it takes. Don't, you don't have to pray. This between you, you and me anyway. 
be careful. <laughs> but when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father, the one it matters to, who is unseen, and your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Your reward is coming. And sometimes the reward, I don't think it's always that you have to wait for it then. Sometimes I think, at least for me, my reward is knowing I did it the right way. That feels pretty wonderful when I knew I did it God's way instead of doing it the way I maybe wanted to do it. That I heeded the warning sign, be careful. Self is trying to get in there. And sometimes the reward does start here by knowing good. Okay, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, now he's saying a lot of your action, a lot of your motives, a lot of your priorities you know what he's saying here? You better check to see if maybe you do have a couple other gods besides me. Because if there is any time you are saying, I can't live without. I got to keep working at building and making sure I achieve and you know, whatever it is. I think when he says you cannot serve God and money, he's pretty much saying you can't serve God and the things of this world. I don't think it's just money. It's anything that you put ahead of him that you think you can't live without. And so he said, time out, be careful. Let's just take a look at your heart and see where your priorities lie. Let's see what really is important to you. And you might be surprised at what you're going to see. And you might have to do some cleaning house because you let things get in the way. And he says, just remember where your priority is. Where your priority in your heart is, that is what's going to be top priority in your life. Whatever is, and, and Jesus is saying, and I can see it. I can see because it's easy to say that I'm it, but your life doesn't show that. So, again, this is just an individual for every one of us, and that's why pretend you're the only one in the room. It's not about anybody else but you and him this morning, me and him this morning. The eye is the lamp of the body. That is so true. What do you hear people say? The eye is the window to the soul. Yeah. And so that's, that's true. And, and what... The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, then the body will be good. I mean, see, that's what we've been saying. If you start caring more about your heart and what is real in there, because you're not fooling the one that matters. And so he's working on you so that that can be exposed, that you can be set free of it so the Holy Spirit then can really begin to work in your life. When the eyes are good, Guess what? You'll watch the body. All of a sudden, you'll have different priorities. You have different worth. You have different reason to get up in the morning. You have a different purpose. Because you know what? It's starting to become more and more about him and not so much about who? That's right. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, if there's no light, it doesn't get any blacker. No one can serve two masters either. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. You cannot serve God and the things of this world. You can have a top priority. It can't be a double-seater. And then he says this, he, he ends this section of the Sermon on the Mount by saying, therefore, I tell you, do not worry 
about your life. Don't worry about your life. Yeah, because that's why he kind of pretty much sums it up here. You know, do not worry about your life. Now, the one, when he put do not worry about your life, that was very clever. That was very wise because by putting it that way, is there any way that he can say or that you can say, yeah, but that doesn't mean this. That couldn't possibly mean when he says, do not worry about your life, he has left it all there for you. No excuses, no yabats, no reason to worry. Maybe this will help you to distinguish between what worry is and what worry does versus what concern is and what concern does. They're totally different. Let's say you have a situation. You have got a traumatic thing going on. The natural thing is to worry. But do you know what worry does? It renders you and I absolutely immobile. Worry will cause you and I to do nothing. And there you sit in it. With all hopelessness and despair and discouragement and down and defeated and that's what worry will do. You sit there and do nothing. Concern on the same situation kicks you into action. And what is your action? Your action is go to the one who does know how to handle it and who does know what he's doing and, do, and does have a reason for this whole episode. And it's got a greater good going on here that maybe you can't even see. So you can, you got a situation, your call. You can worry and let yourself totally be immobile. Or you can be concerned and let that concern run you right to the book that I heard you say to me this morning that's got everything you need to get you through. Concern will get you going to the one to say, help me. And there's an old song that says, does Jesus care when my heart is pained? So deeply for mirth and song. When my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks, is this clear to him? Does he really see? Good questions. Wondered that a few times myself. Where are you? How come? And then the writer goes to that chorus, which then sets you back right. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. So when my days are weary and the, and the long nights dreary, I know. And when you know something, you don't have doubt. I know I have a Savior that cares. So it does, we have a split second to decide, okay? Crisis. Worry. Immobile. Boy, am I a mess. Or concern. You run to the one who you trust. You worry and it doesn't even happen. That's right. That's right. That, that's good. And see, what, what Jesus is trying to say is, hopefully one of these times through that thick skull of yours, you're going to get it. And, and he's going to penetrate through your negativism, and pretty soon you're not even going to see the negativism because that's old Maxine. New Maxine doesn't have negativism. It's well, this is war. This is, this is the whole thing about we are always fighting against our human nature. Jesus knows that. Reason for Sermon on the Mount. 
So he's saying, um, I don't make it complicated. I don't give you 50 choices. I give you two. Do you want to do it your way or do you want to do it mine? I mean, it is just so black and white. And so every one of us has a weakness. Maxine, you happened to mention yours this morning. Now I'm telling you, that's why, that's why Paul wrote, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Because he's saying when you start to see that old nature and those old, those old things of your old nature start rising up, he says, hate it. Start recognizing it, saying, this is my old nature. I hate it. And then I love the way he says, instead, cling to what is good. And that is go hold tight because somehow you, you've loosened the grip to let self be able to come in and let the old nature come back in. You've loosened the grip. So get back clinging to him. And his spirit then will remind you of all that he is making new in your life. We don't have excuses. When Je- do you think when Jesus said, do not worry about your life, do you think that Jesus said, oh, and I know those poor suckers can't do that. No, and I don't mean to be brassy there. I just think sometimes we've got to put in those terms. He would never say, do not worry about your life if he didn't give us means to not worry about our life. He wouldn't do that to us. So when it happens, when we worry instead of concern, it's no one's fault but our own. And we've got to see that. It is the presence of the enemy, but greater is the one that lives in us than he that is in the world. That's why when we said, don't leave me in temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, I am helpless and hopeless if I fall into his prey, if I fall into my own self. That's why, God, you're the only one that can keep me from doing this. And you promised, you're faithful, that if I come to you, you will see to it you, that I have a way out of this. Now, do I believe that or not? That's what he's saying here. Which choice are you going to make? Do you want to live victorious, even in your hardest days? Or do you want to sit there and feel helpless and defeated? He's saying, I love you too much to not show you the other alternative. So I don't even have to really read the rest because you, you know what he's saying. He gives you the examples of, of the birds and the lilies of the field. He's saying, don't you think I know what you need before you even ask? I know. And what did Paul come back and say? You can count on the fact that he will give us everything we need. That's what Paul said in Philippians. That's why you and I go in our prayer time. We say, give me today what I need. Because you know. That's why we sang, great is that faithfulness this morning. That's why we sang, I want to be a Christian in my heart, not surface. Jesus started a whole deeper way of living. And in verse 33, he says, now I want you seeking first. We've talked about the word seek just to make sure that word doesn't come easy either. Seek means I got to work at this. I've got to put time in it. I got to put effort into this. Seek means hard work. And he's saying, and, and this is what cuts to the chase because Llewellyn, you always think, but this is the hardest. This is the hardest. You, you say that quite a bit to me. This is hard. This is hard. Well, guess what? We've got a Savior that knows that. He knows that it's hard for human beings. But he says to me, he says to you and me, if you seek, if you seek first me, because seek you first the kingdom of God, that's him. If you seek first him, and that's what he's trying to go through our hearts with this morning, with a fine tooth comb. And he's trying to expose, we've tried to sneak a few things through. And he's saying, I don't, I don't go that, I don't go that way. It's all or nothing with me. You seek first me. And then he comes back and says, the need is the hang. He says, if you put me first, if you seek me first, what does he promise you and I? Everything that we need from then on in, he'll see to it. 
He'll see to it that we have. And, you know, what's so enlightening to me here is that, you know, I might have a, a list a mile long, and, boy, i got a busy day, so, you know, I'm just going to have to put him on the back burner for now. I'll get to you. I'll get to you. You know what I find out? That I'm running around like a chicken without a head. And I don't think the Lord ever intended for us to run, run around like chickens without heads. That we're so blasted busy that we don't have time for the things that really matter. Like maybe stopping and looking at the flowers or the rainbow or how great he is. He says, you know what? You seek me first and I'll see to it that everything that needs to be done today will get done. And then, then when he says, do not worry about tomorrow because I know you humans do that. You watch the news. Oh, my. You've got midterm elections in here. That's, I pretty much read between the lines here. <laughs> and everybody's so shook up about that. And he says, you know what? I don't want you living like that. Because I want you living knowing that I'm God. I'm your father. I'm the greatest father there is, and I'm going to make sure that you have everything that you need. But I want you to know that I'm the God of all, and there's none like me. I am God, and there is none other. I love that verse. And that's why he says, don't worry about tomorrow. You've got enough to deal with today. And together, you and I, we're going to get through the day just fine. Because I promise to give you the strength. Remember what God said to Joshua when I'm sure God, Joshua was just a tremble in his boots when he had to take over for Moses. God said to him in that first book of Joshua, in the first chapter, he said, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I am your God, and I will uphold you, and I will be there. And he says the same thing to us. Now, if we really claim that, do you think we'll get through the day just fine? Because together, God and I and you are hand in hand. You know, this old cliche phrase now, God's got this. <laughs> you know, I just, sometimes I just don't like cl cliche phrases, but this is one that can change the whole course of your day, your life, when you really believe that you and God, together, what a combo. Have a great week. It was a good lesson.